Dermot McCulloch, you're fellow of St Cross College and Professor of the History of the Church and the Faculty of Theology and Religion here at the University of Oxford. Um, Dermot, when did you first come to Oxford and, and when did you come to St Cross? Well, both 1995, I'd been teaching in Bristol before that and moved here to what was then a lectureship in um, church history, which I turned into a, well, turned for me into a personal chair. Uh, so that's a quarter of a century nearly being at St Cross. And I've seen it change, as you can imagine. Uh, it was a very small college then perhaps not very well known in the university. Uh, I think there were 120 students in total at that time. Uh, so it's very intimate, uh, and I liked that very much. Uh, so right from the start, I thought, this is the place for me, and I've never wanted to uh, seriously leave it uh, since then. Okay. Um, so, St Cross College, uh, what does it mean for you? St Cross has always been a refuge from my job and I think uh, fellows and students alike feel that because a postgraduate college has a very different dynamic from um, a mixed college so-called where undergraduate teaching takes place. I mean there it seems to me for, to be a fellow you're in a working environment. Well we're not here. We're escaping from our department, from our faculty, from our office and we're coming to meet congenial people and the great thing about the college is that there isn't a division between fellows and students. It's got a single common room, and it means that, uh, subject to the, the normal rules of politeness, you can sit next to anybody over a meal, and it's usually lunch, and start a conversation. Uh, I value that enormously. There's, there's no set pattern to come in, and there's none of that claustrophobic feel, which I think actually can be a problem at an undergraduate college. It's an open community, it's a place to relax, and the nice thing about an Oxbridge College is that it doesn't end when you retire. You go on being part of this single community until you drop dead which is very pleasing and reassuring when you're on the point of retirement, like myself. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, um, to follow up a little bit, um, you've been involved in college in many different ways, at many different levels. I mean, the thing that comes to mind immediately for me is, is your music involvement. Would you, would you be prepared to say a little bit about, about that? Yeah, music well, has always been important to me, uh, and when I came there was music happening, uh, and so what I've done over the years is, is simply try and carry on that tradition. Uh, I know the people who had been involved in that tradition from a very early stage. Donald Richards, the wonderful Donald Richards, was taking the choir which sang the carol service when I arrived, and uh, so I joined that and I've been involved in that ever since. Latterly, we've had the equally splendid Peter Ward-Jones, you know, uh, a consummate uh, conductor of choirs, a long, long experience, a brilliant musician. And so my role with Peter has simply been to be sort of front of house, admin manager, uh, whipper up of the troops. Uh, and that culminates every year in a great carol service in the college, which is one of the events which... which makes the college exist. It's hugely popular. We cram these days into Pusey House Chapel and it's too small, which is very healthy for a service. And a choir which is 
weirdly always about the same size in the end. It's sort of about 23, 24 practices over six weeks. They practice really very elaborate, difficult carols. And sometimes you think in rehearsals, God, this isn't going to work. It always works. <laughs> uh, and it's hugely appreciated. It raises money for charity. Uh, it, it's a marvellous event. And the, the, the thing about it uh, is that we are reinventing the wheel every year. There's a nucleus of singers, but there is a constant flow through of talented singers who are just doing a master's degree and so alas we only see them for one year or old lags who are doctoral students and we see them for as long as we possibly can I would like, this is one of my ambitions is to formalise all this uh, I can't last forever, Peter Ward Jones can't last forever and what we need in this college really is an infrastructure uh, a, a music scholarship uh, we don't have our own chapel, but we do have so much musical life which needs concentrating. And so I, I would love to see it. One of my dearest wishes that we establish uh, the role of someone who, um, in my 17th century history terms, would be called an agitator. Someone who gets things moving. That's what the word agitator meant. Mm. Whatever we call them, I don't know. Size art, student, agitator, that would be rather nice. Music agitator. Mm. So that's always been important to me. I've been senior tutor here, and uh, that was a, a great insight into the, 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 what the college can do for students. It's not an academic institution in the sense it's teaching them, but it's providing a background, a life for students, and the role of uh, the college staff and all fellows is to help that along. I do, I do think it's valuable, though it's time-consuming, that all fellows have uh, a responsibility towards a certain number of specified students. And it usually doesn't mean all that much. It means perhaps meeting them a couple of times a year for a meal. And over that meal saying, is everything going okay? And they always say, yes, it's going okay. It's just the times when about an hour later you get an email saying, actually, things aren't going okay and then it opens up. You have to have that personal contact, that slight sense of relationship and trust before those things can happen. So it's this informality for a purpose which I think is so valuable about the way the college is structured. Hmm, very well put. I mean you've been, been central to, to the life of the college across uh, many many years. Um, can we now turn to talk about you know your your research interests, your intellectual interests, and and uh, how they've un, how they've unfolded across these years. Yeah, I'm a historian by trade, uh, and because my history centres on the 16th century, it centres on the Reformation, the Counter Reformation. It's a period when religion was right at the centre of politics, which is why the theology faculty could employ me just as much as the history faculty. Out of that. Uh, all through my career I've been interested in the history of religion on a much, much wider scale. One of the very early books I wrote uh, before I came to Oxford was a thing called Groundwork of Christian History, which was hugely ambitious, ridiculously ambitious when I was about 30, to sum up the history of most Christianity uh, through single covers. Well, I've done it since you know, on an even more megalomaniac scale. So the history of Christianity I published in 2009 is a thousand pages long, including the index, and on the back of that I uh, ventured in a new direction, which was television. 
most academics end up as a talking head on a program or two. But that was extraordinary because by a series of circumstances, I was offered the chance of a documentary about the whole of Christian history, the thing I was already writing a book about. Uh, and I, at that time, I didn't realise what a, an extraordinary opportunity this was. Uh, from scratch, I learned how to present uh, a programme of six hours, six episodes. We travelled to 21 countries in the world. Uh, it was extraordinary, uh, a, a marvellous experience. I've done quite a bit of television after that too. Fantastic. Can you do you have any tips for television for any anybody who might have, any academic or, or or scholar, junior scholar who would aspire to to be involved in television? I do some acting first. Uh and as challenging acting as you can do, stand-up comedy might be a good way in. I haven't actually done that, but I have been involved in uh, rather challenging open-air theatres in the past. Matinees are very difficult in the open-air, I can tell you. Uh, so that's a very good basis. What you're doing, really, is uh, a piece of stand-up acting. Mm. Uh, it's got, uh, in my opinion, if you're a historian, to have a solid intellectual framework behind it. A mm. uh, historical documentary which doesn't strikes me as worthless and irritating... It's no better than Judge Judy in entertainment terms. But good historical documentary by professionals who know their subject uh, is really, really important. Uh, and so for, for the young academic, I'd say be yourself and more. Exaggerate yourself. Learn how to act. Don't be afraid of the camera. It's much less intimidating, I think, than having your photo taken. And get on with the crew. They are marvellously talented and they will open up a world to you that you don't understand, that you have no part of. The world of documentary making, the world of broadcasting. And that will do you no end of good. It will inform the way you teach. Uh, so these are transferable skills. And also it's just huge fun. Mm, fantastic. So... <clears throat> It's taken, your research has taken you in many different directions. How do you see it as being important and, and for whom do you see this as being important? I think it's important for understanding religion in a sane way. Uh, of all the great powerful forces that motivate human beings, religion is one of the most inspiring and one of the most dangerous. And the danger usually comes from ignorance about it. Uh, religion is full of simple stories which inspire people and also distort them and often make them do very bad things. So one of my main goals has always been to complicate history in a sane manner. It is vital for human sanity that we understand the past problem properly. It is vital for human sanity that we understand the past properly. Because if we don't, we'll put a bad, simple story in place and we will do bad things. So a history of Christianity is deliberately designed as a TV series and a book to help people become more sane. And what I've enjoyed about the reaction to the series and the book has been, apart from the uh, hate mail, uh, 
is that the, the appreciation that has poured in from people across the world. You know, I, I, I always know when the series is being repeated across the world because suddenly a set of emails come from Shanghai or Stockholm. And the message of, of, of the ones which I appreciate, that, and that's most of them, is that thank, they, they thank me for giving them a better sense of who they are and often helping them through problems of belief. Uh, and as I, as I said before, sanity. That, that's hugely rewarding. Um, history is, is fun. I mean, it's my hobby, but it's also a vital tool, and I'm, uh, I've appreciated having the opportunity of using it for other people's benefit. Fantastic. And, and I mean, really, you know, complicating difficult material for difficult times. Um, that's, you know, the, if... Uh, would you feel that this is one thing that you take away from your academic life as being the, you know, a key thing? In Absolutely. And uh, I'm passionate about the value of the humanities and in general. I'm a vice president currently of the British Academy and my job there is formally called communications and engagement. Mm. And that means giving the riches of the British Academy, its expertise, the expertise of its fellow to the world, uh, which is a task which is vitally necessary for the future of society. Humanities, social sciences, they're the brief of the British Academy. Uh, without them, our population will, will fall into insanity. The sciences can reach the moon, cure cancer, etc. But they will not make you sane. That's the job of the humanities, to, to, to make society work. Uh, it's a passion of mine, and I won't give it up when I retire. Fantastic. I was going to come come to that then. Uh, you've been talking about the, the you know the importance of uh, the humanities for the future. So what's what's on the horizon for you? I think more of the same, frankly. Uh, writing books, uh, having just finished a biography of Thomas Cromwell, uh, I'm about to start a, a, a history of sex and the church. That's the formal title. So it's the way in which sexuality, gender, the family are issues around which Christianity has agonised and argued. Uh, so it's another job of complicating the past story in the interests of present sanity. Uh, the Church has thought all sorts of different, in fact contradictory things in the past about marriage, sex, the family, etc. And it will go on doing so, and it's got to be persuaded that this is a good thing, uh, the contradictions and the complications, not a bad thing, and it shouldn't tell simple stories which oppress people. So that's my next task. It's a big one. Uh, I, I've got four years, five years to do it in, and who knows after that, I might be dead. <laughs> Dermot McCulloch, arch complicator. I never saw you as such, but, but I do now, in a very good way. Thank you. Thank you.